Hi, I'm Garth Tanner. I'm Jamie Wincup. I'm Lee Holdsworth. I'm James Courtney. We're the Forex Angels and you're listening to the V8 Insiders. It's your weekly dose of V8 news on the V8 Insiders. Now here's your host, Craig Revell. When it's a race, not a race. Melbourne's a great one because it, it's uh, probably the second biggest uh, you know, audience we get to race in front of. We look back at the Sprint Gas V8 Challenge today as the lights go out on another edition of the V8 Insiders. You've taken the V8 to the races. you watch the action on TV. Now, read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 Supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 supercar coverage. Out now. Craig Lowndes showed that he is not out of championship contention with a strong performance at the non-championship event last weekend at Albert Park. I think I'm also encouraged obviously having a new car. Like the FG is uh, something that, as Frosty said, we're, we're still learning about. We're still uh, getting our head around it. And, uh, um, and I enjoy that side. I enjoy the, the, the technology side of it and finding out how, how to get the best out of it. Um, you know, we, we uh, like every other Ford team, are still playing with it and, uh, you know, we're making improvements. Ford dominated the second outing of the year with the pig of Triple Eight and the Falcon of FPR heading the leaderboard for the three races. Lowndes winning the pole, the first and last races, with Winterbottom turning around a disappointing Clipsal to win race two. Uh, you know, obviously, I knew what tyres Craig had on, and when he was behind me, there was, um, you know, I was sideways and he was on the gas, so there's no, no real uh, reason to, to try and block him out there, and off he went. And, and um, the car was actually quite good on the tyres that I had. I was actually pretty, um, pretty happy with how the car was balanced. So put some good tyres on it. I'm, I'm sure we could have got, um, got up there and had a bit of a fight. But you know, it would have been the same thing yesterday. We probably wouldn't have won the race yesterday. So it's the best of the Holdens for the second week straight was HRT's newcomer, Will Davison, that showed the maturity across the weekend that made his name at Dick Johnson Racing over the past few seasons. It's never enjoyable when you're getting uh, pulled away from, but uh, still, as I said, another big learning weekend and uh, certainly great to be up here. Davison muscled the car home after steering failure almost saw him park the car with a lap left in race three. In the last couple laps were interesting. I had the, uh, not sure, something broke in the front of the car or... I lost all power steering and I just went flying across the uh, 1112 chicane there and I was about to bring it into the pits but I looked on the big screen and saw the pack was a fair way back and I just muscled around for the last lap and uh, you know obviously got passed by Russell there in the last corner but uh, back here on the podium which is great. Davison's misfortunes allowed Russell Lingle to make a last lap pass and take his first podium of the season. In another notable performance, Jason Richards and Stephen Johnson both had good showings. Jason with three fifth places and Johnson never worse than sixth. Garth Tander had troubles in race one, seeing him break a steering mount on the toll HRT Commodore. It is the second time this season that Tander has had a steering failure and it caused him not to finish the first race. This weekend, the rules were not as kind as in the championship round, seeing him drop back to 25th place on the grid in race number two. He eventually fought back through the field to finish in the top 10 in race three. Championship 
points leader and defending V8 Supercar champion Jamie Wincup had his ups and downs across the weekend. Qualifying dramas had the champ starting from 15th position in race one, eventually working his way back to three top ten finishes. So race one's top ten was Lowndes in an FG, Winterbottom in an FG, Davison in a VE Commodore, then it was Stephen Johnson in an FG, Jason Richards in a VE, Fabian Coulthard in an FG, Jamie Winkup in an FG, Shane Van Ginsberger in an FG, then it was Todd Kelly in a VE with Paul Dumbrell rounding out the ten. Winnerbottom was the winner in race two with Will Davison right behind him, Ford and Holden sharing the top two spots on the podium. Lowndes, then Johnson, then Richards, Winkup, Van Gisbergen, Dumbrell, Coulthard and Jason Bright made his only appearance in the top ten. Race three on Sunday and it was Lowndes, Winnerbottom, Ingle making a last lap pass, as we said, to get past Davison. Jason Richards, Mr. Consistency. Stephen Johnson, then Garth Tander, Van Gidsbergen, Coulthard and Winkup. Overall, Craig Lowndes took out the points from Mark Winterbottom. Will Davison finishing third. Stephen Johnson was fourth outright with Jason Richards fifth. Then it was Van Gidsbergen, Winkup, Coulthard, Dumbrell and Kelly making up the rest of the top ten. The Manufacturers' Challenge saw Ford take 1,856 points and Holden 1,574. So what does that actually mean? Well, there were six Fords that finished in the top ten every race. However, in race two, Jason Bright was in a BF Falcon. In total, 13 different drivers finished in the top ten across three races, with only six different drivers in the top five. We looked it up for you, so now you don't have to. Talking about Jason Bright, he's hoping to have his FG Falcon on the track sooner than expected. The Stone Brothers Racing Align driver saying that all going well, he will be debuting it at Winton. Michael Patrici is hoping that John Bow's experience will help him develop his role at Wilson Security Racing. Bow will become Patrici's mentor in a role not dissimilar to what Glenn Seaton is doing with Tony D'Alberto. There have been a number of teams and drivers expressing their disappointment over the Albert Park experience, with many saying that they should have made a better deal before returning to the Albert Park track. Watch this space. We expect some big changes for the Sprint Gas Manufacturers Challenge over the next 12 months. Larry Perkins is under the pump from many team owners, with them feeling that his position on the V8 supercar board should be replaced for a more active team owner. A petition that was reportedly handed around over the weekend to other team owners has not got up so far, but with an emergent meeting coming out very soon to discuss changes to the race formats, where potentially the qualifying might be thrown out, it's expected that Larry's role on the board will be discussed more fervently at that event. And that's the news on the V8 Insiders. We've got Briar Gunther and Alan Edwards up next. I hope you'll stay with us. Controversy Corner is next when we return with more on the V8 Insiders. Hi, I'm David Reynolds from Bundaberg Racing and you're listening to V8 Insiders. Take in the V8 of the races. You watch the action on TV. Now, read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 Supercars. 
showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers. V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 supercar coverage. Out now. Welcome back to the V8 Insiders. Joining us this week, it's the big pond dynamic duo of Alan Edwards and Briar Gunther. Good evening. Good evening, Craig. Hi, Craig. It is exciting times as we move through the first two races of the year. And one thing we've seen from the two street races so far is that Formula One and V8 Supercars draw about the same crowd. Who would have thought, Briar? Yeah, that's right. The uh, the Clipsal attendance figures were only about 14,000 down on the uh, Australian Grand Prix, which isn't a, a bad um, show for Adelaide considering it's smaller than Melbourne and um, the Grand Prix was um, an international event. And Alan, when you think about it, you're from Victoria and you've just sunk $60 million extra to have that event. Yeah, it's um, interesting, isn't it? And the, and the fact that, uh, you know, that we uh, now have it as a, as a twilight event on not really sure that that probably worked, even though, of course, the, uh, all the powers that be are uh, singing its praises. i got to tell you, six games of Aussie Rules football in Melbourne isn't going to do your crowds the world of good either. No, that's right. I mean, it, it, it really is um, unfortunate timing with uh, the opening round of the... Uh, of the, the AFL as well. Because mm. when you put it into perspective, the opening round of the AFL season, albeit spread over eight events, had as many people as the Grand Prix, if not more, and, uh, you know, their Thursday night crowd was, uh, well, almost twice the size of the Grand Prix's Thursday crowd. Yeah, certainly. I mean, that particular game with uh, Ben Cousins returning for Richmond was uh, built up, you know, in the media, and uh, to be honest, you wouldn't have even known the, uh, the Grand Prix was on in, you know, looking at some of the newspapers and what have you. Mm. Well, one man that knew the Grand Prix was on was Craig Lowndes, and at the end of the weekend, two wins and a third briar, a fairly emphatic performance. Yeah, that's right. He did put in a pretty uh, good show. The only shame for him, I guess, is that it is a non-championship round. So, um, in, nevertheless, he did well, and um, he said later on that it was um, the new FG that was inspiring him to uh, to work harder than last year, and also that apparently his fitness um, is, is increased on last year. So there's a few factors there, I guess, um, which has um, has given him the win. It was a solid performance and FG's taking out the Manufacturers' Championship because the only other winner across the weekend, remembering that Lowndes took pole, first race and third race, was a very game and brave Mark Winterbottom. Yeah, um, well, it's all about the FG's at the moment, isn't it? Um, although, of course, you had the, sort of a, a bit of a clash, I guess, um, because as you know, the team Vodafone cars don't like to call, or the, sorry, the team Vodafone team doesn't like to call their cars um, FG Falcons due to Ford withdrawing its sponsorship this year. So instead, they call them Hogsters. So it's a little bit strange for um, the the winner of the uh, the manufacturer's challenge to um, to not even call the cars um, what they're supposed to be, I guess. But um, but yeah, nevertheless, it worked out well for Ford and and Lounsey, um Ford, of course, is his personal sponsor, so he was quite happy to um, to to win for Ford. But I'm not sure about the team itself. Well, I we actually thought it was quite ironic that uh, 
but it was um, Team Vodafone that uh, collected most of the points for Ford, considering that, it, that they were dumped by Ford at the end of last year. Mm. Well, when you were listening to the show last week, you heard Roland say they're happy to do their bit for Ford. Well, actually, he said they're happy to do their bit for the Falcon, which there is that slight little bit of a difference, isn't it? They're racing Falcons, maybe not racing for Ford. A slight play on words, perhaps. Mm, it's all um, semantics, isn't it, really? I mean, when it's all said and done, it's still a forward, regardless of what um, Roland says. But, but anyway, they can, uh, they can call it what they like, I guess. When you're winning, That's right. you can, you know, make your own arrangements. One man who is certainly showing that he was the hottest property in silly season for good reason was Will Davison. He has had the uh, dream start for a Holden Racing driver. Maybe not winning a race yet, Briar, but he's even been able to have mechanical difficulties at the right time of the weekend. Yeah, yeah. Look, he's proven to be a a real outstanding performer so far. I mean, we've only had two rounds so far, or events. Um, But... Yeah, I mean, he did really, really well at Eclipsal, and then he went on to um, to continue that at Adelaide. So uh, I think HRT got their money's worth with him. However, it'd be really interesting to uh, to see if he would be doing as well in a, uh, a brand new Triple Eight Falcon um, if he was still with Jim Beam Racing. So I reckon that would be really interesting to uh, to chuck him in the car for one round and and see how he goes in it. But um, of course, that's not going to happen. But um, yeah, he did have a, a power steering failure during the race, which is. Um, been a bit of a problem for some of the HR, well, for the HRT cars um, lately. They had at both Clipsal and the uh, the Grand Prix. So, yeah, I don't know um, know how they're going to go about fixing that, but um, hopefully they've got it ready for Hamilton. Hopefully, Alan, power steering problems for Garth Tander, and uh, also that one at the end of the meeting for Will Davison. But Lee Holsworth had power steering problems there is a common element there and when you think Clipsal, Garth Tander got his uh, starting position back at the manufacturer's challenge he wasn't so lucky and he had to come out of position 25 in race two mm, it's interesting that you know what you say there with the, the power steering failures that you would have thought that um you know it's not like the system has changed since last year um to the best of my knowledge anyway um it just seems strange that in two races that we've uh, had quite a number of power steering failures and maybe it's got something to do with the um, the you know the high speed circuits that they've been at I don't know. It is going to be something we're going to watch with interest because first three events of the championship, one being a non-championship round of course but the first three events are all street races and obviously a street race is a bit rougher and a bit harder on the equipment than on a natural, natural terrain racing circuit. Yeah, that's right. And the other thing too is particularly, probably not so much um, Albert Park with the Grand Prix, but particularly Adelaide, but, you know, the drivers do tend to um, give the steering a, a bit of a workout by clipping the tyre bundles as well. Okay. Now, just as we go to the break here, I want some rapid-fire answers from you guys. I'm going to give you the name of a driver. I want you to give me a summation of how you think he's travelling at this point of the season after a round and a non-championship round. First name I'm going to give you is the man who finished in the top five in every race at the Manufacturers Challenge, Jason Richards Briar. <laughs> That's put me on the spot. 
one word. Wow. Um, there you go. Wow. Wow Racing. Uh, although he does drive for the team block uh, Commodore. But um, outstanding. There you go. Stephen Johnson, Alan. Stephen Johnson. I actually think that um, Stephen is a changed man. How's that for one word? I actually, <laughs> he um, seems to be a lot more relaxed and a lot more focused this year. Russell Engel, Briar. Underperforming. <laughs> Just purely because... Um, I, I really think we, we really expected him to come out of the box at Clipsal and, and, and really be up there in the top five. And he hasn't yet reached it there, although, well, he did sort of get there at the end of the Grand Prix, but, of course, that's once again non-champ round. So, yeah, I think he'll, he'll get into his groove and, um, and, and get there at the moment, probably not getting the results that he wants. James Courtney, Alan? Well, it's um, probably a bit harsh to judge him too harshly, considering that, um, that in... Uh, uh, Albert Park, he was in the old uh, uh, Denya car, but um, then again, you know, I guess you could say that the only reason he was in there was because he crashed in Adelaide, so not the ideal start to the season, I think, that uh, that he'll come good as time goes on. All right, Brian, finally, Lee Holsworth. Um, one word, let's see, um, I'll say great, um, he's... Performance so far has been um, has been pretty good. Wouldn't say you know like really outstanding, but he's just shown that he's been consistent so far. Well, at least this was at Clipsal, um, the Grand Prix. They had some suspension problems and, and such, so um, he was never up there. But um, at Clipsal uh, was definitely consistent, and um, you know was even able to get on the podium again. I'm sure that Gary Rogers would would have to be happy with Lee's um, progress so far. He's third in the championship, so yeah, um, he's hoping that he, like last year where he's uh, he's uh, year I guess turned um, turned a bit sour when he got to Perth. Um, he's hoping that that doesn't happen again um, this year. Alright then Alan your final driver is Greg Murphy. Greg Murphy. Adelaide, second race, brilliant. There you go in one word. Unfortunately one of the most unluckiest drivers in V8 supercar but then some people would say you make your own luck and I'll leave it at that. We'll take a break. Go on the V8 Insiders and be back with plenty more in just a few moments. The views expressed on V8 Insiders, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect those of the network, Thunder Media, sportradio.com.au or V8X Magazine. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited. Hi, I'm Will Davison from the Toll Holden Racing Team and you are listening to the V8 Insiders. Take in the V8 to the races. You watch the action on TV. Now, read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 Supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 Supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 Supercar coverage. Out now. Welcome back to the V8 Insiders, the dynamic duo from Big Pond, joining us with Brian Gunther and Alan Edwards. And guys, we're going to move off the, uh, well, well, not too far off the racing anyway, as Melbourne has wrapped up. But this non-championship round seems pretty flat after the Clipsal 500 weekend. And I have to say, if you didn't have one HD, you didn't see much V8 supercar action. You're dead right. Um, I certainly don't have HD. And um, there was uh, not a lot of um, V8s to be seen on television in our house. Bri, you uh, probably didn't get to enjoy uh, anything from 1HD because you were ducking and weaving throughout the pit lane. Uh, 
correct, yes, but yeah, my understanding is that there were only um, some snippets of V8 supercars uh, shown over the weekend, and of course that comes back to as well um, the fact that Channel 10 is the one that does 1HD and um, Channel 7 is the official broadcaster of V8 supercars, so uh, that's where the clash would have been. But um, yeah, if you're a pretty hardcore V8 fan, you would be a bit disappointed that you... Um, and especially if you didn't live in Victoria, where, where you could actually attend the round, um, you'd be a bit disappointed when you couldn't watch um, some racing. Now, this is uh, part of a bigger picture, isn't it? Because a lot of the teams are sort of saying, why are we coming here if there's nothing really on offer? The Manufacturers' Championship is great, but what does it mean? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think this year was probably the first year where we've actually seen some blatant... Um, I guess opposition in a way. I wouldn't. I don't want to get some of the teams' backs up because I know they wouldn't say it is opposition. But it's more the thought of well, when you're qualifying at the back of the, on the back of the grid for a race, why should you damage your car when it's a non-championship round? And that's a very valid point. So you had a, a number of, of people, and they were admitting it as well. Um, you had Gary Rogers, um, Gus Tander did it for race two as well. There were a number of other people who started from pit lane, and that was just simply to avoid the carnage. And um, and it was a, a blatant um, admission of, of, yes, we're not starting from, from the back because we're not going to damage the cars. Um, but I, I think it just shows that now is the time that, that it should be a, a championship round because, I mean, what's going to happen next year the floodgates have sort of opened and um i mean could you imagine if sort of half the field starting from from pit lane it it, it just makes it even more of a farce and alan they they had the year away and really both organizations the melbourne grand prix corporation and the v8 supercars got kicked up the backside by respective sponsors and organizers by not being there so they both came together again to get last year on the calendar and to get it agreed to and it seems like that, uh, well, perhaps some say the scheduling with the evening race was not going to work for them, but you would think that V8 supercars would become, you know, a, a huge draw car for, card for the Sunday, knowing that they would get a 2 o'clock start to a substantial race if they made the format right and if they made it worth something. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, as Bryce pointed out, there's, there's still a lot of work to be done. I'm not sure that it can be a, a championship round, or, or let's just say, I mean, of course it could be, but um, it would be difficult to make it a championship round because of the different television uh, broadcasters. Um, my opinion, though, is that you know the, the timing of the whole thing is all wrong, and the, and the format is all wrong. They, they, they've got to come up with something that um, that makes it worthwhile, and and I believe that um, if it could work, I mean. I, Obviously, it's a, it's a scheduling thing, and uh, the Grand Prix is scheduled at a time, you know, which is not controlled by here in Australia, naturally. It's, it's got to fit into the World Championship. But I would like to see the, um, the race actually happen before Adelaide, so that in terms of the V8 races, it was the first race of the year, and then it could, could be used as a big test shakedown session before the championship. But to have it a week after Adelaide um, and, you know, three weeks before New Zealand is certainly not the ideal timing for, for the V8 Supercar Championship. Because that's the whole thing, isn't it, Briar? It, you say three weeks away from New Zealand, but these cars, in two weeks' time or less, actually, they have to be on transporters to get them across the ditch. Oh, yeah. And I mean, especially for, for the Brisbane teams, the Victoria teams are a little bit more blessed, I guess, in respect that they've got a couple of extra days up their sleeve, which that isn't a whole lot in the long run. 
Um, and especially with the Brisbane teams, they have to drive all the way up to Brisbane to get their cars prepared. So there is a couple of days there. And, and as you said, yeah, it might be three weeks away, but it is only in reality for the teams two weeks. And it's not even just for the teams, it's for um, Dunlop. Things got to be organised so far in advance. Um, so it's, you know, it's, it's really inconveniencing them as well when you've got heavily damaged cars. Like with Michael Caruso's car um, and with James Courtney's as well, is that now they've got to frantically um, rebuild the new cars because they were using spares at, um, at the Grand Prix. So, I mean, you know, had any of the other teams with their brand new cars had any significant damage, they would have been in a lot of trouble heading into Hamilton. Mm. And the other thing as well is that if, if it was a, if you did make the Grand Prix a, a championship round, you would just have to scrap the manufacturer's challenge. That would just have to be a give me because there were some instances, well, there are actually many instances where because you had Ford behind the pole sitter, uh, because they, because of the format, um, there were actually drivers who would lose spots, even though if they'd finished a race six, they might start from seventh. So, of course, you couldn't have that for a championship round. So you'd have to have a significant makeover of the format as well. And I could see, and I'm, I, I'd like to get your opinion, Alan, with what they've done with the Grand Prix, putting it on as that twilight race, you have a huge opportunity to have a marquee, a real marquee Sunday race problem is, of course, you need a pit lane to do it, and that is another expense. Exactly, but how, you know, when, as you pointed out earlier, when we're spending all this money on the race anyway, to get this right, how much money could it cost to build a temporary pit lane um, in a similar, other... or a secondary pit lane, and it's similar to what we used to have at, at Indy? Mm. Yeah, on the other side of the track even, I can, I can think of a little area there, or even before the... Uh, Formula One pit lane where the track kinks back in. There, there is opportunities there, and then you'd have opportunities to sell grandstand seats across from two pit complexes. Well, that's right. I mean, the other thing, too, is that, you know, I, I can see a huge opportunity, and I know not too many people agree with me, but um, even if it is a non-championship race, I, I can see a huge opportunity to have another little mini-enduro. You've got all day to do it <laughs> before the, um, the main event, if you like, or the F1s kick off at five o'clock so there's certainly plenty of time to have a, a mini enduro if you like with with two drivers and uh, and you know it would certainly make it worthwhile for the um the crowd to go along and, and have a look at something in the afternoon i know people that um had their tickets for the grand prix that, that didn't even bother turning up in the afternoon until you know until about two o'clock or something and it's like to me, that's, um, that's a huge wasted opportunity for the uh, AGP Corporation and for V8 Supercars. Mm. It'll be interesting to see what's going to happen in the weeks ahead. OK, just some quick fire answers from you once again. More than one word, though, Briar. I won't make it that hard for you. <laughs> Thanks, Craig. Larry Perkins is under the pump at the moment. Should he be kicked off the V8 supercar board or is this no different to what a lot of people have done with their V8 supercar licences over the past few years? Um, I don't think he should be kicked off the board. Um, he's, still, he's still heavily involved with, um, with what they Cali Racing and of course the licences are now part of Cali Racing and all that but um, I mean he's still heavily involved he's, he's been at the rounds, I saw him at the Grand Prix and had a bit of a chat to him there and you know he said he's just as involved as ever and um, Oh, I mean, I, yeah, I just really can't see any reason why he should be kicked off. I mean, he's got, you know, such a huge amount of experience behind him. Um, you could put a, a new player on and, and they might not have as much of a clue. So I think it could be a bad idea. Alan, your thoughts? 
I think it's a storm in a teacup, to be honest. I think that um, a few opportunists are taking the opportunity to, uh, to um, you know, vent their dislike for Larry, and they see this as, a, as an opportunity to, uh, to get back at him, if you like. Should the great two-for-one offering qualifying be gone, Al? Um, yes. There you go. I gave you the one-word answer. And what two? Um, I, def- I think that it should be you know, two separate qualifying sessions. Making both the days exactly the same, wouldn't it? If you had your qualifying on your Saturday morning and then your race on your Saturday afternoon and then Sunday, hey, we're going to qualify and have a race and make it like two separate events. Exactly. Brian? Yeah, um, exactly. I mean, that was sort of the whole point of, of these events. I mean, you, you can't really call a... Well, you're not supposed to call anything around. Like, you can't call Clipsville around. It's an event, and you've got race one, which is recognised entirely separate from race two. So then why are we mixing up or, or, I guess, merging the qualifying sessions for both of these races? Why don't we have two different qualifying sessions? It, yeah, I, I agree. I mean, you know, it would also give... Um, give a lot of more a lot more track time for, for both the drivers and for fans as well so they can turn up in the morning it's, it's worth their while to get to a track in the morning and um, and watch qualifying rather than getting there later in the day missing the supports and just turning up for what two hours worth of the supercar racing so yeah hey bring back a, a, a qualifying for or, or start a qualifying for Sunday definitely well I mean you know it, it most likely will be happening from Hamilton is the word that we're hearing it's just a matter of uh, which way they do it, whether they decide to have two qualifying sessions on the Saturday um, or, as you pointed out, Craig, one each day. Makes for a much better draw card for me and it means that uh, both days are events in their own right. Got to remember, though, these two-day races have got half the amount of points of a one-day race and that is something that I don't think people are focused on. We're calling each race an event in its own right, yet if you have a Saturday race and a Sunday race, you split the points as compared to a one-day race, which um, you get full points for. It's an interesting problem. It is, but I mean, the, the flip side of that, to have a look at it, is that most places where we have a, um, you know, the, all the points for one race are your bigger events, your bigger endurance races, and I'm a big believer that you probably should get more points for those races anyway. I heard someone say that we don't have double point rounds anymore. I'm going, yes, we do. Listen, sand down. You're right. Guys, a pleasure to catch up with you once again on the V8 Insiders. We look forward to catching up with all your reports on Big Pond, and I know, Al, that you have got a new magazine coming out, which I have to give a plug. Uh, yes, um, the next edition of Motorsport Legends magazine will be out in around about a month's time and, of course, we have a, uh, a complete dedication to uh, Elton, 50 years of uh, the Australian racing car manufacturer. So uh, keep your eye out on the newsstands for that one. All right, and the Briar Gunther fan club is just really heating up www.briargunther.com, isn't it? <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely, Craig. <laughs> uh, directs them to the V8 Supercar website. <laughs> Guys, thanks for joining us. The White Flag Lap is up next on the V8 Insiders. To ask a question of the V8 Insiders, just email them at v8insiders at sportradio.com.au. Stay tuned for more. G'day, it's Greg Murphy from the Sprint Guest Racing Team and you are listening to the V8 Insiders. Taking the V8 to the races. You watch the action on TV. Now, read about them in V8X Magazine. V8 
V8X magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 supercar coverage. Out now. At the Clips for 500, Neil Crompton hosted a press conference about the new E85 fuel. Here's Craig Lowndes, Ross Stone and Garth Tander explaining a little bit more about the changes for 2009. First up, Craig Lowndes talking about if there's any difference in the car for the drivers. Uh, not really. I think that's uh, really for us in a sense that... Uh uh, we started sort of uh, this whole process sort of uh, late, well, mid to late last year. Obviously, uh, knowing that we were going to E85 for this year, and uh, uh, actually Campbell was uh, was still with us at that point, and uh, we spent a lot of time at, at Queensland Raceway uh, mapping the car and running it and trying to understand it because I was probably a little bit sceptical about obviously going to that sort of style of blend. But uh, really, for us, it's, uh, it, it took us a little bit to get our head around to, to remap the engine. To use, uh, to use what we had. Um, but really, for me, the, the, the two differences really is the smell of the fuel. Obviously, it's a, it's a sweeter, well, I say sweeter sm- uh, style of smell. Um, and the, uh, you know, the engine generally uh, uh, has a bit more of a banging between gear cuts um, than what uh, we previous fuel was. So for, for our side of it, it really hasn't changed a lot. Ross, uh, from your viewpoint, you did a lot of the initial development work and you took it on as a project at SBR uh, midway through last year when it was first discussed. Can you give us an insight from your viewpoint about the development process and what was involved? Yeah, well, starting with the new fuel after years of um, avgas and then unleaded and then on to E85, um, it's, it's going to take a little while for everybody to fine-tune it all, but um, it's been pretty seamless here. You haven't seen any problems in the pit road. Um, but the biggest difference to the cars, how they run this year to last year, if you like, after all the development is, that instead of running one high-pressure fuel pump, which most people do this year, you, you basically run two all the time. And um, in the engines, the only, only difference really is you, you have to run a different injector just because there is a bit more consumption. The other um, injector that we most of us use was nearly at the... At, you know, um, full duty cycle so um, that's, that's really the only changes but this year it's um, you'll, Craig mentioned the bang on the gear changes we're running a brand new ECU this year as well, it has some other capabilities and um, some of the gear change fuel you can control all that sort of stuff so you, you'll find it all, um, will get fine tuned in the next meeting or so, nothing like coming to a race meeting and doing it Garth, from your viewpoint, uh, some challenges for your engineering group as there have been for all of the teams with the new ECU, the M800. Uh, have you practised the start uh, with the new fuel and uh, what about hot starts and dealing with heat soak and some of those other issues that don't always jump up initially? Yeah, we, we had a few small issues on the test day of starting the car up while the engine's hot, restarting the car in between changes, for example, during a practice session and stuff like that, but uh, that was more an ECU issue than a, uh, than a fueling issue and um, from a fuel point of view, our engineers have obviously done, as all the teams up and down pit lane, would have done a lot of dyno work uh, as far as mapping goes to get their head around what the ethanol uh, changes have from a mapping point of view for drivability and performance as well as economy. And, um, you know, when I first drove a car with the 85 fuel in it, I actually had to ask again 
whether this was E85 or the standard fuel, like there was, you could not pick it at all. And um, the car actually ran considerably cooler the first day we ran it. We found that um, you know the car was running in excess of 30% cooler. So um, yeah, look, it's got some unique, interesting stuff that we have not probably not come up against in the past. And a new fuel with a new ECU will certainly keep the guys that um, claim they know what they're doing very busy. We'll have more on E85 in the upcoming weeks. My thanks to Briar Gunther and Alan Edwards as the checker flag waves on another edition of the V8 Insiders. Keep smiling and bye for now. Join us next week for more V8 Insiders, only on v8x.com.au.